0: The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon,
1: period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived, and in the last days neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 137 of the Book of Mormon podcast. Kevin and Shelby here. Hey everyone. And this week we are discussing chapter 47 in the Book of Alma. I'm excited. Yeah, this is a really good chapter. Um, We, I think we had like this idea, oh, this is kind of, this is going to be a quick one. Maybe we can get in 47 48 or something like that and then we started reading it and we had a bunch of impressions about all kinds of things um oh yeah relating it to our lives and to our day and it just increases my testimony uh again and again that the book of mormon was truly written and preserved for our day here in, in the latter days and hopefully your testimony will increase as well as you study this chapter with us.
0: Uh, before we begin, I just want to say I love when listeners reach out to us and tell us that they listen to our podcast. Um, I had a really nice conversation with one, our, with one of our listeners, and so it just makes me happy to know who's <laughs> listening and, and we're sharing with. So don't be afraid to come message us on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. We're, we're happy to talk. So I just wanted to throw that out there. If you are listening and you ever had any thoughts on on a chapter or how to improve this podcast or things you think would be cool, let us know. We're open book. Absolutely. So yeah. Anyway, back to Alma 47. We're excited.
1: So last week when we left off, the uh, Malachi, who is this Nephite dissenter, he... Has fled with some of his followers into the land of Nephi, which is where the Lamanites are, and it's his it's his intention to stir up the Lamanites to anger against the people of Nephi um, to to accomplish his purposes, which is to uh, conquer or control the land of Zarahemla. And apparently he does uh, gain some traction. Uh, Apparently he, he gets in good with the king of the Lamanites because there in verse one, it says that the king of the Lamanites sent a proclamation throughout all his land, among all his people, that they should gather themselves together again to go to battle against the Nephites. Now, it's been several weeks since we were there, but remember that Captain Moroni... Um, Amalekai was not the first adversary that he faced off against. We have, uh, one before him, Zarahemna, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and he was a Lamanite. He was a leader of the Lamanites. And if you remember, he defeated Zarahemna and he, he repelled the Lamanite invasion. And part of that, uh, You know, victory over them was that many of the Lamanites entered into a covenant to never come up again to war against the Nephites, surrendered over their weapons and everything. Uh, Zarahemna first didn't want to do that, but then he realized, oh, we're going to die if I don't. And so he did. So, and I don't know exactly how many years uh, we, we could definitely look back. I didn't do my due diligence. It's been several years since then but this is fresh in the memory of both peoples. This is not some uh, agreement that their fathers made with one another. These, these people are living now who made that covenant. So in just the turn of a couple of years, the King of the Lamanites is ready to break that agreement. Um,
0: well wait correct me if i'm wrong or maybe i'm misunderstanding but these people right here the lamanites these are the ones that did not enter into the covenant correct i thought this so the amalekia had a small group of men that fled right and then they found the lamanites but all the other lamanites that did surrender in covenant they're living in the land of Zarahemla now correct with the nephites i thought the lamanites were separate
1: no, uh, Amalekiah is a different guy than uh, Zarahemna. Amalekiah is a Nephite.
0: I know. I'm talking about right now in chapter 47, though. Right? Or no? This is good, though, because I feel like some people might have been along my train of thought. So if I'm wrong or if I'm right.
1: So Zarahemna was the leader of the Lamanites
0: mm-hmm.
1: back in like Alma 44. Mm-hmm. And Moroni, through stratagem and by faith, he repelled that Lamanite invasion. Right. And at the end of that conflict, many Mm. of the Lamanites turned over their weapons of war and covenanted to not come to war against the Nephites again.
0: I see where you're coming from. You're not talking about the most recent conflict with Amalekiah. Right you're talking about the one before that. Okay. Correct. Sorry. I understand now. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. I was like, wait a minute. And
1: <laughs> anyway, so
0: aren't we glad we have Kevin everyone?
1: <laughs> well, explain? You know, it, as, as I kind of talked about it, you know, not all the Lamanites made this agreement. So I understand that, that, you know, the King of the Lamanites, he didn't make any such arrangement or covenant But it is what you're what I'm trying to get across is that the Lamanites have a reason to be divided, Mm -hmm. which we see in the next couple of verses, if I may. Yeah. In verse two, it came to pass that when the proclamation had gone forth among them, they were exceedingly afraid. Yea, they feared to displease the king. And they also feared to go to battle against the Nephites, lest they should lose their lives. And it came to pass that they would not or the more part of them would not obey the commandments of the king. Now, it doesn't say anything right there about this previous covenant, but it does mention it later on in the chapter, which is why I want to bring it up now. So something that I think shall be. Uh, I'm talking a lot, so you, you have to take over on this point. Okay. Something that I think you noticed throughout this chapter is this idea of the more part. And yeah. it reminds me of, you know, King King Benjamin um, and the prophets of old at this time, talking about, you know, when, when the more part of the people, when the majority of the people want to do evil, that's when really bad things happen
0: well it's when they're ripe and ready for destruction right which is really key and so here we see that in the lamanites like you said the more part of them are actually striving to do good right
1: i want to be i I thought about that too i don't want to say that they're all they're they're not willing to do wickedness but they are not willing to go to war now they may be only thinking of themselves, but it's it's a good thing when the majority of the people don't want to go to war. That's a good thing. Yeah. Right.
0: And so that those, the king, it says in verse three, he was wroth because they're not obeying him. But nevertheless, he gives Amalekiah a command to take the people who were obedient to his commands to go forth Um, And then commanded him to go compel everybody else Mm -hmm. to go to war. So so he's saying, okay, well, take the people that do want to go and let's go compel everybody else to try and and do it as well. Mm. So let's uh, essentially rise up and quote unquote fight back and see if we can't get more people or something along the lines. Which, take your pick. Go look in the news and see if there's any examples of that. Uh, But it says uh, in verse four, we get some insight into Amalekiah again. We kind of already know who he is, but (laughs) we get more. It says it was his desire for he being a very subtle man to do evil. Therefore, he laid the plan in his heart to dethrone the king of the Lamanites. So we get some insight into his plan here. He wants to be the king of the Lamanites and he's subtle. And I think that's very applicable throughout this entire chapter is the subtleness of Satan and how he can really try to slowly and surely by degree, ever so slightly, get us to where he and captures us i don't know the word but you get what i'm trying to say yeah so it's it's pay attention as we continue talking because there's lots of subtleness here in this chapter
1: what what sticks out to me is that Amalekiah, he didn't have to be subtle to get control over the part of the army that was obedient to the king
0: right
1: he kind of came into that you know fairly just through manipulation you know, within the king's court or or however, like, I don't, we don't know how he gained favor uh, of the king. Though you can imagine a Nephite, you know, coming over to the Lamanite side saying, you know, hey, I have all this knowledge concerning the Nephites, and I have a desire to conquer them. Uh, I'm willing to help you do that. That eternal hatred that the Lamanites have surely was was pricked by his you know his politics and so that's one thing but but the reason i i talk about that is that he gained this obedient part of the army relatively easy Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and now in verse five uh Now he had got the command of those part of the Lamanites who were in favor of the king, and he sought to gain favor of those who were not obedient. Which is interesting because we're calling the Lamanites who don't want to go to war those who are not obedient. And the people who are in favor of the king and want to go to war, they're obedient. And it kind of reminded me of the scripture that talks about when those who Uh, call evil good and good evil, Mm. right? Oh, these people are disobedient. They don't want to go to war against the Nephites. Right. You know, kind of a little bit of a political term, uh, vocabulary. I don't know. Mm. Um, I I wrote here in my margins, those quote unquote not obedient are actually honoring the covenant to never go up to war against the Nephites.
0: Yeah. So, they go to a place called On- Onidia. Onida. Onida. And that is, it says for thither had all the Lamanites fled. So it says that for they discovered the army coming and supposing that they were coming to destroy them. Therefore they fled to Onida to the place of arms. And so at this point, actually, I got confused here. This chapter did confuse me a lot of times when I was reading it, just so you know. But if I'm understanding right, he takes those people, Amalekiah takes the Lamanites uh, and goes to Onida. Correct?
1: Well, the Lamanites who don't want to go to war, they kind of withdraw and go to this place, this hill.
0: Which is Onida.
1: Onida. Okay, And it says that they fled there and they also call it a place of arms. So I don't know if that's where they've like stashed all of their weaponry or something. But these are the disobedient Lamanites and Amalickiah. He follows them there. Because as we see, uh, they appoint a man to be their king and leader. So this is like a a faction. This is like a different group of Lamanites now with their own king, their own leader. And his name is Lahontai, right? And it says, being fixed in their minds with a determined resolution that they should not be subjected to go against the Nephites. Hmm.
0: So this point coming up, is where I start to see subtleness from Amalekiah mm-hmm. as we start to move forward. So there's they've, the essentially if we could summarize what's happened up to this point, those the Lamanites are having dissensions among themselves. Right. Only because some are trying to keep the covenant that they entered into to not go to war against the Nephites. And others are not really caring or never took upon themselves that covenant and trying to go to war. So they've kind of have two groups within themselves, right? Right. And so one group's fled up, and so they're in a, a mount, I believe, right, called Antipas, and they're they're preparing to go to war with the Lamanites down there, mm. right? And so because they don't, they're going to fight them because they don't want to go fight other people. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, right? <laughs> but It says in verse eight, now it was not Amalekiah's intention to give them battle according to the commandments of the king, but it was his intention intention to gain favor with the armies of the Lamanites that he might place himself at their head and dethrone the king and take possession of the kingdom. So all Amalekiah is trying to do here is to gain favor of the Lamanites. Not necessarily the king. Because he knows that if he can get the voice of the people, then when he tries to overthrow the king, he will have the voice of the people to do so. And it will not be a problem to dethrone the king. Right. So that's how I would put it in today's terms.
1: Yes, because he he has no values.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: His His only... Ab- objective is power. to get power yep. and how that's done is through getting a bunch of people to do what you tell them to do
0: basically so well here we try to we see that but in verse 9 uh we just get some insight that he they just all pitched their tents around the mountain antipas but they're not really doing anything yet now here we begin the subtleness. Sorry, guys, my phone just tweaked out on the app, so I'm bringing it back up. Okay, in verse 10, he sends Amalekiah, sends a secret embassy, which I'm I'm guessing is just a group of Lamanites, <laughs> to the Mount Antipas, and he desires uh, that the leader of those who are upon that mount, whose name's Lahontai, which Kevin already shared, to come down to the foot of the mount, for he desired to speak with him. So he just sends a group of them up there uh, to try to get Lahontai to come down to the, to the mountain. Now, there's a similar story to this in the Bible, in the Old Testament, which we can share it later. Uh, but Lahontai, he, in the next message, it says, in, sorry, next verse, it says, he, He doesn't come down. It says he durst not go down to the foot of the mountain. He's like, I am not going down there. (laughs) Would you guys go down there? I want to go down there, right? Like I I have better things to be doing up on that mountain. So Amlekiah does the same thing again, telling him, you know, we desire you to come down. And Lahontai says, I'm not coming down. (laughs) And then he does it a third time. Amalekiah says, Okay. We're going to send him again and see. But he would not come down off the mountain. Lihonte is like, I'm not coming down to meet you. And I don't know if you guys have heard this definition, but the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And so after three times of doing this, I think Emelikaia is starting to catch on that Lihonte is not going to come down this way. Right. (laughs) So he then can, I don't know, conjures this plan to get him down a different way, and in, in subtly, might I add, um, but anyway, it, I love verse 12. I want to read it. It came to pass that when Amalekiah found that he could not get Lahontai to come down off from the mount, he went up into the mount, nearly to Lahontai's camp, and he sent again the fourth time his message unto Lahontai, desiring that he would come down and that he would bring his guards with him. So he, go, he this time he went up himself. And it's just a little bit of difference in plan. But it says it came to pass that when Lahontai had come down with his guards to Amalekiah. So this implies um, that Lahontai does come down, right? And Amalekiah desired him to come down in the nighttime. So we're getting some insight into what Amalekiah is like his insights here. So three times he stands firm and the fourth time he does come down with his guards, with protection, but something happens that is not the best because Amalekai is not a very good guy. So Kevin, before we get into that, do you have any insights on this whole three times giving in the fourth time type thing before we learn what happens?
1: Well, I, of course I do. Yeah. And you do too. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's, you know, that's temptation, yeah. right? I mean, we can liken that to temptation um, because once, twice, three times you can resist the temptation and then suddenly it becomes a little bit easier to rationalize it. Like Lee Hontai probably thought, well, and so Malachi himself, he's come all the way up here, and I get to bring my guards, and so I'm fine, I'm safe. Because the, the only reason that he was afraid to go down all the way down to Amalekiah's encampment was surely because he thought he was gonna be harmed. Right. Well, this he sees like, well, there's no immediate harm to me because I have the advantage. But the the problem is is that Amalekiah wasn't trying to lure him out to kill him he was luring him into a uh an agreement like a a bargain right and so he says hey now i've presented you uh with myself i want you i want to join you i've i've led my i've led the king's men here and they're just down there milling around they they're not really doing anything they're not organized i'm alluding i'm adding a little bit of what i think is going on because if Amalekiah was their leader, surely he could have sabotaged it from from the other side, right? He could have uh, disorganized them. He could have, you know, told them to stand down, you know, something. And so he puts them in this treacherous position and he goes to Lahontai. He bargains with him. He says, uh, if you take your men and come down with me, we'll all surround and overtake the king's army if you make me second in command. So Lahontai, you still get to be the king and the leader. I just want to be your second and we'll defeat the the king's army. And so and Lahontai agrees because again, he was really only concerned about his mortality. He wasn't as concerned about his, well, his long-term, you know, uh, well-being, which that's what happens when, when we give into temptation, we're thinking about the here and now. We're not thinking about what is this going to do to me long-term, mm-hmm. what is this going to do to my family and my relationships and things like that. So that's what I have to say about that.
0: So the last thing I want to say before we move on is that if you want to read a story about very similar king's leaders uh, being tempted to come down, you can go to uh, Nehemiah chapter six and you can read about his experience with being tempted to come down off the mount. And um, you can compare and contrast. It's a good study to study Nehemiah 6, Chapter 6 and Alma 47 and see kind of the differences a little bit between the two leaders. But Lahontai comes down, Nehemiah does not. So just a little invitation there to maybe study that if you would like to um, this upcoming week.
1: And I would say just really quickly, Nehemiah knew why he was staying up there because he had a great work to do. Mm -hmm. Lahontai... Didn't quite understand his purpose in being up on that that mount.
0: Right. He knew he had something to do, but the vision wasn't necessarily as clear. Right. So, well, as we continue on, we find out that you know Amalekiah wants him to come down in the night, and so with his guards and things, and we all know Amalekiah's intentions, as Kevin just shared. And Lahontai comes down with his men. And before they wake up, uh, they are surrounded. Or it says, they awoke at the dawn of the day. They were surrounded by the armies of Lahontai. uh, Around the, surrounded the men of Amalekiah. So they come down. And it came to pass that when they saw that they were surrounded, they pled with Amalekiah, Amalekiah, that he would suffer them to fall in with their brethren. That they might not be destroyed. Now this was the very thing which Amalekiah desired.
1: And of course, because Amalekiah surely knew these men.
0: Mm-hmm. He,
1: he knew that the king's men weren't, you know, uh, fearless warriors. <laughs> he was like, if I get the Hontai on my side and we come and surround them, they're going to they're gonna give up. Right. We're not going to have to do anything. We're just going to get, now we have double the force, right? We have, we have all the armies in the land at our disposal and Lahontai thinks he's in charge, but really I've got this whole thing planned, right?
0: Right. It's true. (laughs) So Amalekai is very, uh, taking little steps here and there to get what he wants. And so it says it came to pass that he delivered his men contrary to the commands of the king. Now this was the thing that desired. that he might accomplish his designs of de- in dethroning the king." So something I want to point out here in this next verse too, in verse 17, is something that makes Amalekiah, uh, I guess, subtle, and, and he's very patient trying to get what he wants, actually. He knows, it says, "'It was the custom among the Lamanites that if their chief leader were to die or to be killed, that there had to be a second chief leader. So he shows he knows this law. And so he understands that if he can get the chief leader to die, that he will become the next in line, right?
1: He only has to be the second in command,
0: right? So he's using this knowledge and and crafting this plan around a a law or a policy, right? That's in in effect in, in the Lamanites. So he then says, well, how am I going to kill this guy? Right. And thinking this through. And in verse 18, he's, he makes this plan that he's going to take one of his servants and administer poison by degrees to Lahontai that he died. So small and little, was he going to do it? Not this big act of going in and just stabbing him or whatever, you know, however, you would have done it before. Instead, he does it very little, not an immediate drink of poison, but little poison that probably had effects on his body here and there. He probably started to be like, what is wrong with me? I'm getting sick, right? Like he doesn't know he has poison. Um, And I hate to break it to you, but Lahontai dies. (laughs) He really does. And so what does that mean? Amalekai
1: is now the chief leader, chief commander.
0: So now he's got what he wants. And now he's about to march with the armies because he gained his desires to the land of Nephi, city of Nephi. And I just want to clarify that when they're going back to the city of Nephi, they're actually going back to the king of the Lamanites. So didn't want to make it seem like they were going to just go and fight now. They're going back to the king of the Lamanites first.
1: Yeah, it's almost like every episode, I feel the need to clarify that the land of Nephi is where the Lamanites are yeah. and the Nephites are in the land of Zarahemla yeah. just because it's, it, it can get a little confusing, I guess. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, I think that's, it's so powerful in verse 20. It, it says that, you know, Amalekiah marched with his armies and it says in parentheses for he had gained his desires. Uh, all of his plans have come together now. And I mean, they don't, I don't think it's, you You said they're going back to fight. I don't think they're going back to fight. They're going to intimidate. They're mm. going, you know, he has He has now the armies that were not in favor of the king. And he's got people who were in favor of the king, but now have turned their coats uh, to the other side.
0: Well, and, and just to challenge a little bit of your thoughts there, intimidation can be fighting. Yes. a format fighting, <laughs> but not the physical fighting, necessarily.
1: I'm just saying that I don't think Amalekiah had any i mean he he was totally confident, right. All, like I said, all of his plans have come
0: together. he's yeah, exactly, I agree,
1: and so in verse twenty one the king comes out to meet him with his guards, for he supposed that Amalickiah had fulfilled his commands and that Amalekiah had gathered together so great an army. Should go against and he fights to battle. I mean, from the king's perspective, yeah, Amalekai, here he comes having, you know, gone up to battle against Lahontai and his men. And now he's gathered this, this army that's even greater than what he left with. The king has got to be stoked, right? Right. But behold, as the king came out to meet him, Amalachi caused that his servants should go forth to meet the king. And they went and bowed themselves before the king as if to reverence him because of his greatness. And it came to pass that the king put forth his hand to raise them, as was the custom with the Lamanites, as a token of peace, which custom they had taken from the the Nephites. Excuse me. And it came to pass that when he had raised the first from the ground, behold, he stabbed the king to the heart and he fell to the earth.
0: So. Can I say something? Yes. Once again, Amalekiah understands the customs and the culture and the society, laws, all the things at that time. Because he knows that this is the opportunity to, because we know that he is going to display us with a token of peace, right? By raising his hand to them that we strike because he's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to use that against him. Yeah. Yeah. And kill him, and they do.
1: And so this assassination plot is it, it it runs a little bit deeper because in verse twenty-five, now the servants of the king fled, and the servants of Amalekiah raised a cry, saying, Behold, the servants of the king have stabbed him to the heart, and he has fallen, and they have fled. Behold, come and see. So the the assassins are now blaming those who have fled out of fear, right? And it came to pass in verse 27, Amalickiah commanded that his armies should march forth and see what had happened to the king. And when they had come to the spot and found the king lying in his gore, Amalickiah pretended to be wroth and said, whosoever loved the king, let him go forth and pursue his servants that they may be slain. So. You know, it's it's not that Amalekai wasn't going back. Um, who knows, maybe his army didn't really even know what his intentions were, right? They're just following a guy who was able to get power over them. Like, I think of it like <clears throat> he had control over the king's men because the king had given them to him, you know, given him the command. He goes and he bargains with Lahontai. Lahontai thinks, okay, this is my guy. And by degrees, he was poisoned and dies. And so this, this people, they're, they're just kind of changing uh, leaders so erratically, but now they're going back to the, the king of the whole land and now he is assassinated, right? So talk about just, I mean, imagine if something like this were to happen uh, in in our country, I mean, the confusion, the turmoil, and we see it in other countries all around the world when the leadership, you know, changes so, so drastically and so frequently. I mean, it's just a constant conflict, you know, area because, uh, however, Amalekiah, he, because of his subtleness. Mm He positions himself as, you know, as the the leader of these people, and it's really interesting to me. It says that Amalickiah pretended to be wroth when he found the king lying dead, and he uses that that outrage to uh,
0: go find the servants them. Right, to, to,
1: to further manipulate. Mm-hmm. The armies, and I wrote right next to Amalekiah pretended to be Roth. I used the colloquial expression of outrage culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Our modern day of people who just they want to be seen to be angry about something, so everyone else gets angry about the same thing, mm-hmm. and then it it uh, as as it says in the scripture. What does it say? I they gained their desires,
0: Mm. right? Yeah. They want, and usually those desires are to be some type of, you know, power, whether that's with money, command, whatever it is, they want that. And that's where that's coming from. And so it's important in our day to, if someone is trying to lead us or promote, you know, and I was just thinking before you shared all this, like we're talking so much about the subtleness of Amalekiah and like where is Christ in all this? Was the thought that I was having? I was thinking, where is it all? And I think it's it's clear that we can learn from. At times, it can be expedient to understand Satan's tactics, because then when we are maybe found in a situation similar where maybe someone's trying to say, We have to get revenge, we have to chase after them. The spirit can have a a, a little uh, I don't know what you call it, prick our heart. That's what it is. It can have a prick in our heart to say, No, this is this is what Amalekiah did, and he wasn't a good man. You know, and so I see Christ in here showing us and helping us try to overcome the adversary, right? We're not talking directly about him, <laughs> but I see him giving us almost like a a little secret play, right. you know?
1: The, the fact of the matter, like, here's how I see it. Because the Book of Mormon podcast generally just takes one chapter at a time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. It may be difficult to... Uh, Exactly, find Christ in
0: the verses in in this
1: narrative that's going on, right? However, if you put them beside the last chapter and then the chapter to come, when Moroni he, you know, jumping forward, prepares his people to defend the cause of the Christians, Mm. right? What what's happening, and what the Book of Mormon Student Manual does as well. Is it compares and contrasts the leadership of Amalickiah and Moroni, mm-hmm. and it says, "Hey, here's how Amalickiah gained his power and what he did with it, and this is how Moroni was appointed and gained his power and what he does with it." And so, uh, absolutely, we can we can see when we look um, at the at the
0: the whole the picture. Whole
1: picture we can see where the Lord is and what the Lord's trying to teach us through these preserved records.
0: So moving on with the, the rest of the, the chapter in the narrative here. So the people, it says, whosoever loved the king, let him go forth and pursue the servants that they may be slain. Mm-hmm. And so when, when people hear this, they come forth and they go after the servants of the king And it says in 29 that when the servants of the king saw an army pursuing after them, they were frightened again and fled into the wilderness and came over into the land of Zarahemla, which is where the Nephites are, and joined the people of Ammon. thought that's pretty cool. Yeah. So they go over there and they join the people of Ammon and the army doesn't find them. And so it just says they pursued them in vain. Mm -hmm. And so... This phrase that Kevin kind of well, he talked about a little bit earlier, but it says, Amalekiah by his fraud gained the hearts of the people because now the servants can't be come back and tell the story, right? Of what really happened,
1: absolutely, right?
0: So, oh, they're just gone, right? But they know they know the real story, so yeah,
1: in verse 31, Amalekiah the next day enters the city Nephi with his armies and takes possession of the city. So now he's in total control of the capital city and pretty much all the, all the land of Nephi. Right. Yeah. It came to pass and this, I don't know how much, I didn't really read and and studied very deeply the next two to three verses. Um, But basically there's the queen it's like oh yeah the king probably had a queen right and so he goes in malachi does he sent an embassy to the queen informing her that the king had been slain which is interesting that she wouldn't have already known about it um right and that he had pursued them with his army but it was in vain and they had made their escape and then The queen receives this message and she, uh, you know, desires that he would. um, Well, she kind of makes it a deal with him to spare the people of the city. She wants to meet with him personally. And she also wants to meet the witnesses who saw the king slain by his servants. Yeah. And Amalekiah does exactly that. He took the same servant that slew the king. And so the real assassin Mm -hmm. and all of them who were with him went in unto the queen, unto the place where she sat, and they all testified unto her that the king was slain by his own servants. And they said also, they have fled. Does not this testify against them? How convenient, right? Right. They're not there. And that's it's it's very convenient that no one's there to say otherwise. It's also like, oh, of course. Like that makes total sense. That sounds so rational.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why would they have fled if they're innocent?
0: And this is why I think in the, I'm, I just, I don't know why I thought of this, but you're innocent until proven guilty. Right. Right. Because you don't just assume that someone's guilty right away, but obviously they do for their causes because what shows that they're guilty? They ran away. They obviously right. got something to hide.
1: And so this is how Amalekiah. Gains the favor of the queen. And I guess I I may have misspoke or spoke too early. You know, at that point, maybe he didn't have total control of all the land of Nephi. But now he definitely does. Because here in uh, in this verse 35, he seeks the favor of the queen. He took uh, her unto him to wife. And thus by his fraud and by the assistance of his cunning servants, he obtained the kingdom. Yea, he acknowledged, he was acknowledged king throughout all the land among all the people of the Lamanites who were composed of the Lamanites and the Lamulites and the Ishmaelites and all the dissenters of the Nephites from the reign of, the, of Nephi down to the present time.
0: I want to talk about him taking the wife or taking the queen to wife. Because that is something we didn't see—the um, intent of Amalekiah, like hmm. if he wanted to take the queen to wife. But as I was listening to you read that, um, definitely back in this culture, uh, a woman was seeking somebody who could provide for her. Right? I, I would think so. Same same with today too. Yeah, but I, I was just mean- say that. <laughs> But you get what I'm trying to say. Some women like to work. But she did not probably want to lose her status mm-hmm. in society just because her husband had been murdered. So from her perspective, I think uh Amalekiah probably didn't put much thought into this because he thought, Well, yeah, of course this woman's gonna want to keep her status, wanna remain in the king or in the kingdom and with all the things she has and is blessed with. So naturally You know, after they question and we plead our case, you know, I will take her to be my wife. And she'll agree to that because she'll get to keep her life and have a new husband. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I think maybe he didn't give too much thought as maybe he has with the other events that led up to being where he is now.
1: I kind of thought of it in a different way. I thought she probably didn't put up too much of a fight in terms of once. once the witnesses came forward and they gave their testimony, and i mean just just like they said, um they have fled does the does not this testify against them? She had no reason to to rock the boat right yeah. she just she just accepted it because maybe it was easier to accept that and not dig any further and not seek the truth because Yes, she did not want to lose her, her status. And here's Amalekiah; He has the armies at his command.
0: He was trying to defend my husband who was right. murdered. Like, it all makes sense. And so I don't think Amalekiah gave too much thought to it. He yeah. just let it work itself out. But yeah, he, he uh, has the whole kingdom now. He got it. He got what he wanted. Temporarily.
1: So the, <laughs> uh, the now this is where we get a little bit of commentary from Mormon after, you know, like <laughs> we we talked about where's the Lord and all this. Well, Mormon didn't forget about the Lord. He he goes in in the in the last verse here, verse 36, because it it was just mentioned that. You know, this land of the Lamanites or the land of Nephi, you know, has all these people composed of, you know, the direct descendants of Laman and Lamuel and also Ishmael and all of the dissenters of the Nephites who have over time, they've left the church, they've left Zarahemla and they've come to live among the Lamanites. And... Here in verse 36, it talks about these dissenters. Hmm. And I would call them also apostates. I would call them former members, right? And not just former members, but, you know, people who have maybe gone so far as to remove their names from the records. So now these dissenters having the same instruction and the same information of the Nephites, Yea, having been instructed in the same knowledge of the Lord, they served missions. They went through primary, baptized at eight years old. They went through the youth program. All these things. They went to BYU-Idaho or BYU-Provo.
0: Now, now, this is Kevin comparing to right. today. Just I don't want anybody thinking that that's happened. But anyway, right. disclaimer.
1: They have been instructed in the same knowledge of the Lord, nevertheless, it is strange to relate not long after their dissensions, they became more hardened and impenitent, meaning not willing to repent, and more wild, wicked, and ferocious than the Lamanites, drinking in the tradition drink excuse me, drinking in with the traditions of the Lamanites, giving way to indolence. All manner of litigusness, yea, entirely forgetting the Lord their God. And so the reason that I I kind of go a little bit hard on that is that Mormons there saying it, it, it's strange that these people who once had just as much knowledge and suppose you know and, and truth available to them as a faithful member of the church. After they've dissented, they become more hardened and less willing to repent and even more wild, wicked, and ferocious than the Lamanites who are not and never been members of the church. They go so hard against what they knew and it is strange because we see that today. And it reminds me, it's its actually in the Book of Mormon student manual for this this chapter in these verses,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Elder Maxwell, who said that there are those who can leave the church, but they don't seem to leave it alone.
0: Yeah. And, you know. Like I said, we're not a political podcast. We don't want to be, but just look around you. Like there's examples of things like this and you can discern for yourselves, but it's out there. There's people we know there's people who've left the church who just don't stop fighting it. Now they have a cause to take it down, you know? And it's like, it's there. So I don't necessarily know. I know people, but I don't know like a, any influencers or anything like that, but my point is they're there. So
1: well, and I think the lesson here, one of the many lessons, is that there are Amalekias. There are those who uh, they they dissent, they leave the church, and then they want to go and gain power so that they can they can fight and take down the church.
0: And the key is that I think right there at that very last verse, the very end, entirely forgetting the Lord, their God, because when you don't have someone to hold you accountable or keep you accountable to things, anything can go. You don't have any consequences. Eat, drink and be merry. Nothing's going to happen. No one's going to judge you. We're judge free, right? Right. That's and and when you when you don't have an almighty God to in your belief and their in their belief now to stand accountable before one day why not right makes it it makes it easier.
1: That's that's a really that's a really good point. I mean, if you if you can relieve yourself of accountability, say, hey, this this is not a true church, this is a total scam there's no God at the head of this church. Like uh, there's, there's no consequence.
0: God just loves us. And that's all he does. He just loves us. And so I don't, I, I might believe in a God, but not the God that holds me accountable. And I don't have to stand for him. Right. At the last day. No. But even then these people just forgot altogether. So I'm right. Just, They're I'm not giving Yeah. Examples.
1: I mean, there's, I think there's just so many different uh, variations of the story, but, but there is one that's especially, Especially um, insidious or just very concerning in the latter days. Now, the next chapter, which we'll we'll really get into next week, but the first several verses of Alma chapter forty-eight, it kind of it wraps, it helps wrap things up, and I wanted to kind of venture into those verses. Um, it came to pass that. As soon as Malachi had obtained the kingdom, as soon as Amalekiah had obtained the kingdom, he began to inspire the hearts of the Lamanites against the people of Nephi. Yet he did appoint men to speak unto the Lamanites from their towers against the Nephites. So, uh, exactly what Moroni was worried about at the very end of chapter 46, which we see that Amalekiah did start in verse 1 of 47 and now in verse 1 of 48 now that he's obtained the kingdom he's inspiring um this this ideology of war against the nephites and if i may he took over their media yep he put he people in towers to speak right
0: to create the narrative he wants told
1: yep to inspire their hearts against the nephites Insomuch that in the latter end of the 19th year, he having accomplished his designs thus far, yea, having been made king over the Lamanites, he sought also to reign over all the land, yea, and all the people who were in the land and Nephites uh, as well as the Lamanites. And so he'd hardened the hearts of the Lamanites and blinded their minds. He stirred them up into anger. Um, he gathered them or they gathered themselves really at this point, uh, to go to battle against the Nephites in verse four, for he was determined because of the greatness of the number of his people to overpower the Nephites and bring them into bondage. And the thing is, is that what he has no reason to believe that that wouldn't work. His whole strategy has been to gather more people, mm-hmm. more soldiers to his cause. And that way he can be victorious. And, uh, that's, that's where we'll leave it for today because we're going to get into, um, other, other stuff next time. We're going to start there in verse five. Um, but yeah, it's, it's heating up in these war chapters.
0: Yeah. And we're in the last half of Alma here, so it gets really spicy. <laughs> it does. It re- I, I mean, not in a very nice way, but there's a lot that goes on. So yeah. Anyway. Thank you for listening. Thank you for enduring with us on our Book of Mormon podcast. And we're grateful for our listeners. And we're more grateful for our our children who may be listening or our grandchildren and for taking the time to hear um, your mom, your dad, your grandpa, your grandma speak about Alma chapter 47. So we'll see you next week. Bye, y'all. Bye. My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open, and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life.